This episode of No Quarter is sponsored by The Underground Retrocade. You love these games, and the way you want to play them is on the original cabinets. You want to see the side art, you want to feel the controls, and you want to hear men at work on the stereo. So, when you want to play those classic old games, you know, where the monitors were up top and the quarters went down under, then head over to The Underground Retrocade, 121 West Main Street, West Dundee, Illinois. I'm going to the surf. It's coming at me. Where's that shark? Go to your right. What do sharks eat? Look at those teeth. I'm Mike McGinnis. And I'm Carrington Vanston. And this is No Quarter, the classic video arcade game podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. I must be in the wrong class. Oh, well, this is this is not Open Apple. I'm in the wrong place, too. See ya. <laughs> okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Actually, given how little feedback we have this week, I don't know if we have anybody to say goodbye to. <laughs> yeah, very, we, we don't Very few have, people wrote in. I don't think we have anything. We, we weren't loved. I got some stuff on Twitter, mostly people saying they tried Mighty, Mighty Monkey, and they agree with me. It's terrible. Your listeners are, <laughs> there are wise and intelligent people. <laughs> nice Even if they're tasting games poor. I can say everyone's going to think I edited that. <laughs> games are paused. Wise and intelligent. Um, no, they're right. They are, and first of all, they're not my listeners. They're our listeners. Well, they only tweet you about stuff. I, I don't get any tweets about this show. No? <clears throat> no, I get very little. Maybe people are afraid of you. Maybe you're too high and mighty to talk to the people. Come down off no, that high horse, Mike. I, I'm pretty high and mighty, but that's no reason to be afraid of me. <laughs> I'm low and weaky. <laughs> um, well, we might not have a lot of feedback. There's cool stuff on the net. Not necessarily news, but neat, neat things we could tell people about. Sure, let's, let's do that. Well, there's something on YouTube called The Ballad of the Video Game Crash in 1983. All right. And like, that's got to tickle the, the fancies of our listeners, I would think. Now, I haven't had a chance to actually watch this, but it's been making the rounds through, through, um, uh, through the Twitter and through the Facebooks and mostly on Reddit and that sort of thing. And so that's where I got it. So I got like partway into it and sort of a retrospective of the crash. And I find the whole topic of the video game crash really interesting because I, for the most part, missed it. Like I was completely unaware in 1983, well, in general, but particularly <laughs> I was unaware that there was a video game crash. It did not affect me in the least. By 1983, I had kind of taken myself away from arcades and away from um, even a lot of game systems at home. And I was focused almost exclusively on computer games by that point. So I would still play arcade games. I'd still be aware of them right through the 80s, but far less of a focus. So the fact that the arcades were struggling really was completely off my radar. How about you? How, how aware were you of the crash? Well, like you, I, I had very little awareness of it. One, because I had my Apple II at that point and <clears throat> was getting further and further uh, involved with that. And, and two, I think, you know, it's easy to forget what life was like before the Internet, you know, and, and unless – Unless there was a, a piece in the newspaper or there was or there was a, a piece in, in the, the evening news or something about arcades closing, I wouldn't have heard about it. You know, you drive mm. you drive by your favorite arcade, no, look, it's not there anymore. But it doesn't really it didn't really occur to me, at least, you know, at eleven or twelve years old, that gee, they're all closing. What's going on here? I just oh, okay, well that's not there anymore. So uh but that's fine because I had my computer at home. So, you know, it's I, I think I mean, obviously, there was the people who were in the industry felt it <laughs> because they weren't mm -hmm. working anymore. But, but for people like me, I, I don't know that there was all that much immediate impact. I was in the exact same position, and you're right about that whole the difference with the pre-internet world. It was often really easy to assume that things were more local if you weren't being told by the the immediate news all the time and memes that uh, that things were a global phenomenon, or at least continent-wise, continent -wise, um, uh, it seems to be more of a North American thing than anything else. But for me, like if a couple of lo local arcades closed, I would just assume that those businesses closed, mm -hmm. not that it was indicative of something that was happening all across Canada and the States. Yeah, well, and I also 
a, a big portion of my arcade experience wasn't businesses that were specifically arcades. I mean, I definitely had a few that I went to, but a lot of my gameplay came in places like pizza joints and, and mm. ice skating rinks and roller skating rinks and things like that. So when those places closed, it was because that business went under and it became something else that didn't have video games anymore. It wasn't because an arcade closed. Exactly. For me, too, it was the case that that I ended up, by mid-80s onwards, um, frequently when I was playing video games, it was because it was just a single unit in some other location, exactly like you, in pizza places, in, in well, not bars at the time, but <laughs> in laundromats. And, and, and it was still the case well into the 80s that you would find um, coin-op games everywhere. Now, they started... Um, I would find by the end of the 80s, you would see fewer and fewer of them. And a lot of times they'd be games that had been left around for a long time. You'd come up to games and by 87, some game tucked in the back of a laundromat would be a 1982 game. And even by then, it started being like an old-fashioned quaint sort of thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know, for some reason, the crash just sort of passed me by. The other thing that I noticed about the games, the places that did stay open uh, or that, that did have one or two games around, it stopped being... Dig Dug and, and, and Pac-Man and, and became Street Fighter and, and other games that I just wasn't interested in playing. And so whatever little interest that I did have in going out to a physical arcade or physical location to play games, you know, diminished even further. Totally with you on that. I remember one of the last arcades I went to wasn't one of my locals, but on Young Street, one of the main north-south streets here in Toronto, there was an arcade uh, north of College, south of Wellesley, for people who know the city. It was on the west-hand side, and it was um, there for ages, ages and ages and ages. And I never used to go in it as a kid. When I used to have my, like, my allowance, and I'd go downtown, and um, I was buying, you know, mostly... I'd hit the downtown to buy Dungeons & Dragons modules and stuff like that. Uh, I wasn't, at the time, going into arcades because... Even by then, they were kind of skeezy places, and I was like a wimpy little nerd and stuff. And so I was mostly going to arcades in malls and in suburban areas. So up in North York, where I live, just north of Toronto, I would I would hit the arcades there. And they were generally more sort of family-friendly places, and the downtown ones, kind of skeezy. So there's this one, though. By the time I became, you know, macho high schooler, then in the <laughs> 80s, I would go into it. And, and what I was looking for, though, were the games that I loved you know, I would think at the time when I was a kid, you know, three years earlier. And <laughs> so I was looking for the games from the mid eighties and earlier. I was looking for the dig dugs. I was looking for the Pac-Man when I, when I would go in all the front of it would be fighter games, fight, fight, fight games everywhere. And it was all stuff I wasn't interested in and, and, or more modern games and dancing games, or what have you. And tucked in the back would be the old games. Like these be sort of like sitting around. That that would be a line that they'd have Pac-Man and Frogger and Donkey Kong or something. And they'd be the more classic games. And when a lot of the games up front would have been, you know, recoined to take fifty cents, these would still be the quarter games. But those were the only ones I was interested in. So even by then, I was seeking out arcades and I was looking for games that weren't now the 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 mainstays of the arcades i i sort of was still stuck back in well they're really the same period i'm stuck in now and it's the games then were the ones that are appealing to me and that we discuss on this show i'll be honest carrington you were you were looking for a fight that's why you went into those places <laughs> i was you were tough carrington at that point three years <laughs> later was, exactly i went through that very the very narrow tough phase <laughs> that i went through about, it was that about six summer. weeks or so <laughs> i remember it well ah oh, yes you yeah, know there's there was a uh a chain of uh of I guess classic, if you want to call it that, uh, arcade, arcades here in Denver called uh, Nicola Play for a while. Um, probably late. Was that an accurate name? Was it actually a Nicola? Uh, well, play? it was. Yeah. Um, you, wow. You could either you you would either this was in the late nineties, early two thousands, and you would go in and you could either buy like an all day pass and and play free play, or all the games were a nickel apiece. Um, and like like you were describing, they were the fight games and the, and the the House of the Dead shoot 'em up games mm. like that. And then in the back, you would have two or three little, you know, stations of, of the classic games. And unfortunately for Nicola Play, it was – they had a lot of kids' parties there and they didn't – I don't think they made a lot of profit. So it was kind of hard for – the places kind of got that run-down look pretty quickly because right. they were a little bit dirty. And and the especially the classic games really seemed to take a beating. You know, they were not broken. They had the really badly burned-in CRTs and it just wasn't that much fun to go play there. And, and you know, I, I think eventually the economy caught up with them and they closed a few years ago. But – yeah, I, I do. I do remember that experience of kind of actually feeling a little depressed going into these places and seeing the condition of these games, and they're in the back, and nobody cares about them. So that's why it's, I I actually get really excited about the the modern 
you know, the barcades and the, and the mm-hmm. new retrocades that are opening, like our sponsor, and, and so many of them that are like exciting places that, yeah. that have games and have a variety of games that I have not seen in arcades since like 1982, <laughs> when there'd be a ton of classic games and that's that are that are working and that you can actually play and are bringing back the arcade experience that is so different from playing at home. Like I love playing on main stuff. Like it's so much fun, but there is an element to arcade game playing that is separate from even just the machine. It's the noise. It's the people around you. It's the walking around, picking what game you want to play and watching over other people's shoulders. Like there's a real experience to being in an arcade. And that experience by the late eighties started becoming a really scuzzy place that wasn't family friendly and wasn't like a place that I would want to hang out with. And I love that it's kind of come back in retrocades, which are awesome and family friendly and just are really places that appeal to me like crazy. And even in barcades, which we don't have here in Canada, it seems, but I find that exciting too, because I can see that as being a a new modern way to experience games. And yeah, it's like, there's a bar and it's separate and you know, not necessarily for the whole family, but I, I like that those elements are back in society because I do think there's something something weirdly social about video games, which is odd to say because back in the time, of course, everyone would say this will be the downfall of society and our children will be ruined because all they do is watch these screens. <laughs> but there was a social aspect to, I mean, I don't think we knew how good we had at the time where you're you going out to play games. Mom and dad shouldn't complain because if we get rid of these, it'll be just kid home in the basement with the joystick and headphones. <laughs> so um, I don't know. I'm really happy that there's a resurgence. Yeah, it's nice to see. I definitely look forward to, you know, a big part of the arcade going experience for me, and especially what made my parents feel better about it was it was that it wasn't just me in a dark arcade with a bunch of people I didn't know who were probably older than me and offering me the marijuana or Satanism or something. Um, instead, you know, I would go with my friends and, and we would often pick the games like, like Gauntlet, where you would just feed the thing as many quarters as you, as fast as you could, because who cares about that? Um, you just want to stay alive and party, you know, and, 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 and uh, play with your friends and, and get deeper and deeper into the dungeon and maybe beat uh, beat a game like that. Uh, the, the co-op games especially were uh, something that I look forward to. And, you know, even even what we do here, because it's uh, on the podcast, it's, you know, you're in Toronto and I'm here in Denver, so there's not much opportunity to play together. It's not the same even if it's a co-op type game. You know, we talk about, you know, well, this game was, eh, it was all right, but we remember how much better it was when we could get together and play with friends and, and have a good time together. Exactly. Speaking of which, would you like some of the marijuana and say, no, I mean, speaking of which. Call me me after the show, Carrington. (laughs) Speaking of gauntlet is the segue I'm attempting to say. (laughs) Which took a long time to get there. It's back, baby. Gauntlet. There has been an official gauntlet announcement. Gauntlet is returning. You can head over to gauntlet.com to get all the ooey gooey details. Though, speaking of being family friendly, you will have to enter your, your birthday in, in, at the top of it to be able to get in because, what? you know, if you're too young to figure out how to get past that, <laughs> you're not allowed to view it. Um, and also we'll have a link over to YouTube. There's been an official Gauntlet announcement trailer. And so the upside is it's the original, like sort of, it's the classic four player coin op action coming back. That's exciting. What's not exciting is, the, let me put it the way they put it, <laughs> uh, Gauntlet four-player co-op action gameplay returns in a completely new experience. Oh, no. And those are the words that can just ruin it for me right off the bat. <sighs> it's going to be for PC, and uh, I'm not thrilled. <laughs> like, because, like, I just, I don't know... Carrington needs food. Maybe, maybe I'm just hungry, but I'm, I just, my gut's telling me it's going to be another classic ruined by people who want to change it in ways. I don't think it needs to be changed. Yeah. We've talked about that before. And, and I don't know that we've ever put our, put a specific nail into, into whatever it is that, you know, that makes a, a remake or a, a, an upgrade or whatever you want to call it. A good one versus a bad one. Sometimes, you know, it's the gameplay. They, they almost always tinker with the gameplay. Usually that's bad, but not always. And sometimes it's, well, we're just up giving the graphics a refresh and, and, but it's been our experience here so far anyway that this tends to turn out badly more than it doesn't. And when it goes bad, it goes really bad. Right. So we'll see. Maybe this will end up being wonderful, but I'm, I'm dubious. It's being headed up by, uh, there's a, 
chunk of Warner Brothers that seems to be called the WB Games Vault. And I guess they're going to be focusing on remakes of a... And by remakes, I mean ruining a bunch of uh, classic <laughs> a games. ruination of classic games. <laughs> totally. Now, I guess there's uh, Magica, the developers behind that, who have you know a pretty good skill set there. They're the, the people behind it. So maybe it'll be good. I don't know. I think... I'm just, I'm very dubious. I'll be very surprised if what comes out of this is something that I actually like. Well, and the problem that I'm already hearing is that you've got a big company like Warner Brothers that's bankrolling it, and you have a small developer that knows what they're doing making it, which means that the suits are going to see something that they don't like or they think isn't going to make money or they're going to have an idea, hey, this will make us more money, and that's what will end up in the game rather than the, the arcade goodness. And then, you know, my advice to anyone out there, and I'm sure they don't need this advice, would be just to get <laughs> Mame and play the original on your PC. Is, if, this, if the suits are telling you to do stuff, if if your clothing is speaking, then you know you've got a bigger problem. You need to wash <laughs> you it. Run away, run away from your suits. So um, anyway, we'll have links to all of it. People can make up their own minds. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people have heard stuff and it's going to be amazing. Um, I'll be surprised. I, I don't know. <laughs> there was um, there was a, uh, a Dragon's Lair remake on the PC a number of years ago that actually wasn't that bad. So. See, there you go. Could could be. but see Dragon's Lair, that seems like a game that could be PC, you know, because there wasn't a lot to it. It was watch a movie, hit a button, hit a button, hit a button. <laughs> right. I mean to be honest, like the gameplay wise, the mechanics is not too much to it. I could kind of see that being versus I don't know, I just think they're gonna wreck Gauntlet. We'll see. Kind of for me, Gauntlet needs to be expensive. Gauntlet needs quarters. You gotta be really paying. Last time I played Gauntlet was when we at uh, Kansas Fest. We went to that um movie. Or a bunch of us, and there was the, the, the games yeah, the, out front, the Alamo, and they had Gauntlet there. The Alamo Draft House. Yeah, and a bunch of us played Gauntlet. And I remember at the time thinking, hey, this is really fun. But the fact that it was like unlimited, no-cost play, it was one of the few times where I thought that that's a downfall. Because for the most part, I'm a big fan. I love the fact that when you go to arcades nowadays, it's not costing you a quarter of time. It's like you pay a few bucks and you get to play for the day. I am a huge fan of that. I love it, love it, love it. But weirdly... Gauntlet and these quarter munchers, there was something a little lacking by the fact that there was no cost to throwing in more money. It was like, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever. Just keep hitting the button to to add a add a coin. Now, see, I'm I'm actually the opposite. I I kind of, you know, we, I think we talked about this before. Somebody brought it up where. I, I, when I go into a place and it's free play, I'm a little disappointed. I mean, I still have a great time playing the games, but there's something that I miss about having to drop quarters into a game to continue to play it. And it's part of the experience for me. And when I go to barcades, like the one up in places like that, where they still, you know, you put your $20 bill in the change machine, you get a handful of quarters and that's what you play on. Um, there's, I will go to one of those places any time over the free place. I'm totally the opposite. I like the free play. I do agree that there's something there's something visceral and tangible about the action of a quarter, which is ironic given that our our, our podcast is called No Quarter. But, <laughs> but that's more about that when we battle, we offer no quarter. Um, but and and I like that. Like I do, I enjoy the sound and the feel of dropping a quarter in and getting a coin and that kind of. So I I, I dig it. Like I almost use my my toy phrase that kind of stuff, and I'm trying so badly to curb the use the, my overuse of that phrase. So I, but I I like. I like putting a quarter in, and I think that's cool. But at the same time, like when I go to an arcade, especially nowadays, and there's a bunch of games, and there'll be a bunch that I've never played before, it is, you know, you just walk up and you can just try it and you can play, and you don't feel like there's a cost to it. And I'm still getting to play on the actual machine and see that, oh my God, I feel like I'm going into the sponsor thing. You want to see the side art? You want to feel the controls? <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I do want to see the side art, and I do want to feel the controls. <laughs> like, and I, and I, and I like, you know, standing in front of the machine. I like the sounds and the smells of an arcade. And I'm getting all of that is just the one, the one visceral bit. I'm not dropping a quarter in. And, mm. and I will take the, 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 you know, free time to be able to walk up and, and try new games and experience things that I wouldn't have tried otherwise. Last couple of times I was in an arcade, I would walk up to like a 60-in-1 machine and I would play some games so just because I've never played it, just because it's got a weird title. Same thing we do here on on the podcast. And I, and I wouldn't play those games if I thought I'm going to have to drop a dollar into them to, to play. I, I know, because a dollar is so much money. But still, it would make me hesitate. Well, see, that's... Again, I, I, I disagree because I like I like the fact that, okay, I have... I have a limited amount of money that I'm going to theoretically spend while I'm here at the arcade in this afternoon, this evening. So I have to, you know, I have to choose carefully instead of just walking up and playing whatever game just happens to be around or I'm playing a game because I don't see, um, you know, the ones that I do want to play are, are full. 
Uh, the other thing that I, re- I remember from the arcades that I went to, and I don't know if yours were this way or not, but it used to be like if a guy was playing on the arcades on, on a game, he would like line up quarters kind of a- along that little lip there showing, you know, how many games he was going to play. And you could, if, if you wanted to say that you were next on the machine, you would put your quarter down there. And so when he finished, then he was done. And, and that meant that you got to play. And so there was something. I, something, I agree. I, that's a, that's I, a cool thing. Yeah. So I remember I, though being a kid. In an arcade, and and in the time where it was pre Macho Carrington, like the, early, <laughs> the earlier period, um, I would play in the arcade, early days. and like bigger kids would come up and they like stick their quarter on that lip, and like so I couldn't wait to finish my game fast enough to get away from because it's like she got some big, smelly, smoking, you know, burly fifteen-year-olds like in young Carrington. You stand up behind you, put the quarter there, and it's and it's like an aggressive sort of thing. So I gotta admit, like as soon as you talked about them, like oh. I brought back a lot of bad memories, (laughs) but I do, for the most part, appreciate all those little elements of arcade culture. But I don't know. For me, I'm 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 digging the. Maybe it's because as a kid, I guess I dreamed of arcades that wouldn't charge me. So (laughs) I'd love to hear what our like. I I think I think I can see sort of both sides of this, and I I get the appeal of both. I'd love for some of the listeners to write in and tell us like, what do you prefer that now the free play thing? Do you do you miss the quarters? Would you prefer it that way? Like if all arcades just went back to quarters or, or what have you? Like what would what would people in general prefer? Having a handful of quarters for me made me a careful about the quarters. games. Well, yeah, there you go. It, it made me well. It made me careful about the games that I played, which meant that you know, uh, before I went to the arcades, I would talk to my friends about the games they were playing, and I would read whatever magazines I could about what games were good and what games were bad because I knew that you know when the, that money was up for the day, unless I had robbed Dad's wallet when he wasn't looking, that was all the money. I had. So, yeah, because definitely. Of well, that too, and the marijuana. But I definitely want to, like you, hear from our listeners yeah. and, and see what they say. And other, I bet you people have thought of other pros and cons that we haven't. And and um, so yeah, I, that's it's a topic I'm really interested in. So I, I honestly would love to have some feedback on that. So so um, got some other other links that we can talk about really quickly. One is I have no idea where I even came across this, but this week I watched a short film over on uh, Vimeo rather than YouTube, where I watch most things. Over on video, Vimeo, there's a, a short film called Arcade. And it's fantastic. I loved it, loved it, loved it. Um, it's only you know five minutes long or so. It's a, a UK film. And the premise is basically, and, it, and well, it takes place in arcade. It's a, it's a more modern arcade. It's the kind of games that you and I really don't play that much. So it's two, two gals are playing a shooter, like a House of the Dead kind of, kind of shooter. And they're having a discussion while they do it. And you have to watch a couple times to really pick up on everything that's going on. They also frequently will turn and kill other people in an arcade with their guns. <laughs> so, but it's <laughs> nice. just sort of an imaginary thing. But they're having a discussion, and they sort of they get into roles for female. They start discussing the various roles females will take in arcade games and also in society. And they're both sort of taking the opposite sides of, a, of, of an argument about these roles and how they're ref- how they're, they feel sort of reflected in them and pressured by them and how it's also reflecting their friendship as as two gals um, and at the same time being gamers and playing this game and and sort of the violence in it and, and just a whole bunch of stuff it really makes a bunch of really interesting i guess statements but it's more that it sort of just has a conversation where a bunch of ideas bubble up in a really neat setting and i really really enjoyed it it's by a filmmaker named nita manzur i do not know who that person is it actually was posted like you know eight or nine months ago, but I've just found out about it. I think people interested in arcade culture would like this. I think people interested in particular in like the role of females in arcades, in arcade cultures will really find some meaty stuff here for discussion. So I really liked it. I'll have a link in the show notes. I found it a wonderful, wonderful film. Watched it a bunch of times. Really, really impressed by it. So we'll have a link to that. Carrington. Mike. I have bad news. What's your news? Michael Luther died. Michael Leroy Luther. Okay. Do you know the name? Michael I have no Leroy? idea. I know Luther means guitar maker. I don't think I don't think Michael Michael played. Well, maybe he did. I don't know, but he certainly did play Pac Man. Okay, and you know how we know that? Uh, how do we know that? He's the champion of all time Pac Man. Probably not. We I think we would have heard of him maybe <laughs> in the King of Kong. Or I would have thought like so that, too. But uh, but no, he he thought as he thought enough of Pac Man to to have a a gravestone. Made in memoriam, not only to to himself, but you know, to to his love of Pac-Man. Really, and what does it look like? It looks like a sort of like a stand-up Pac-Man arcade game. A whole full, a whole full-size one. 
Full size. Got a joystick in front and everything. <laughs> now, what's it made out of? Little red. Uh, looks like maybe black carved marble. You know, okay, like- so traditional actual tombstone, but just in the shape of a Pac-Man game. Well, and, and more than just in the shape. I mean, he's got the, the game map carved in the front and a little red joystick sticking out and, and scores. He scored 55 and apparently uh, player two scored 54 points. Um, you know, got the side art and everything. I, I bet he spent a lot of money on this thing. Must have been a Pac-Man aficionado. But he did not quite spend as much on his wife's headstone. Oh, no. Why do we know that? <laughs> we know that because it's attached to the Pac-Man headstone, and it's mm. nothing but the bench next to the, to the arcade game. Aha. So like a lot of people, they want to be buried together. He gets the Pac-Man. She gets the bench. Well, I think, I think the 55 and 54 scores, player one and two, are the ages that they died, which ah, mean, right. means that he died a year after she did and got to do whatever he wanted with her gravestone. Oh, I see. It's that how it worked. Or maybe the other way around. A lot of times the second person will sort of add on to the original tombstone no, or something. So. Possibly. Possibly. The funny thing is that down below, kind of down where the coin slot area would be is, is where, okay, that's where his, like his name, the, uh, the dates of his life are carved in. But then just above that, there is a color photo of him stuck right into the marble. Just at random. So but he clearly a big fan of Pac-Man. Well, and of himself, because he wanted you to know <laughs> what he looked like. Not his wife. Just well, but him. it is a mic. You know what? I have no problem with that. I say go to town, do what you want. Um, not not <laughs> what I would do, but, you know, it's, a, yeah, it's your own stuff. It's a memorial. You want to be a big Pac-Man with your head on it? Go have fun. Whatever. <laughs> um, I, I don't. This is on Imager. At least that's where I'm, I'm seeing this mm-hmm. picture. And. I don't see any other information about it, so I, I don't know if somebody just was walking through the, the graveyard and stumbled on, on this thing and went, wow, I should take a photo of this. Or- it's too bad it's not like a working game. You can put like a, a quarter in. Um, that would probably set it up for, for some abuse, I think. Oh, yeah. So, But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have a link to whatever that is in the show notes. Maybe it will give people ideas. Maybe there could be like a, a cemetery where everybody gets a game. You know, you just... You just put something into my head here, Carrington, that, that I'm not I'm not entirely comfortable with, but the thought is that maybe he's not actually buried under it. Maybe he's in that thing. And you have to play to release him. That's right. Cool. I can see a, a 1980s movie starring Emilio Estevez. This is like the, the Lost Nightmares chapter. <laughs> awesome. But I can see like a fully workable machines in a cemetery and everybody gets their own machine and like they've got the high score table is just them. And hmm. you have to try to beat their high score, but then they take your soul. <laughs> so <laughs> could be awesome. Or maybe just like you get cremated and your urn gets put inside an arcade game. And you just like maybe in arcades across the country, there are dead people. This is the rumor I've started to spread right now. Excellent. I'm on board. <laughs> uh, I will spread this as well. Anyway, see, see people, see what you get from our show when you don't give us feedback. <laughs> That's right. This is what we talk about when you don't give us things to talk about. <laughs> so there you go. You know what we should talk about, though? Pinball. Sure, what do you got pinball-wise? Hit me. <laughs> it's not what I was expecting, but you know what? Do it. I know Go. you don't like pinball, so I'll be quick. You know what? This. The thing is, I, I keep thinking that maybe I'm wrong about that, and I should play some pinball to find out if I'm incorrect about my beliefs. I think it's that I haven't played pinball for a long time, and maybe I'm giving it short shrift. You're just a hater. That's all there is to it. Maybe. Haters got to hate. Well, you can come out here to Colorado uh, on May 23rd through the 25th and, and hate in person if you like. <laughs> okay. I will the- bring you my hate. <laughs> <laughs> the 11th annual IFPA, the, the uh, International Flipper Pinball Association World Pinball Championship, is going to happen here in Denver, Colorado this year. Cool. Are you going to enter? So, uh, well, I, I, I don't. I, I think it's uh, an invitational. You have to have. You have to. Well, Mike, I invite hmm. you to play. <laughs> well, thank you. There I will. you go. Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, you have to make it through several qualifying rounds. I know that at least one of those is also happening here. Uh, at another arcade up in Lyons, which is a little town north of Boulder. Uh, there's an uh, arcade and a pinball area up there. But, uh, and you know, I, I was looking at pictures from previous years. I think the last one was in Germany. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell whether this this competition is open to the public or not. So I'm hoping that it is because I, I would love to go down there and at least observe and kind of hang out. For oh, sure. While. Even if you can't play, just go and watch right. like you guys did with the um, last with one. With the Kong thing. off. The Kong yeah. off. Yeah, that's it. Right. Yeah. So, but I... The the complete rules and everything don't don't talk about don't talk about that specific aspect. So I, I some stuff you know you look through the calendar and some things are open and some things are not open to the public. But uh, the the facility is actually a, it's a game room. It's one of those places that normally sells 
I've talked about them before. They sell like pool tables and, and air hockey and stuff like that, but they also sell a lot of refurbished arcade games and they have this big repair area kind of in the back with these, these, you know, the old codgers that, that smoke and hang out, but, yes. uh, and you know, they'll, but they're, they're great to go and talk to for advice on how to fix something or, or, or just talk about their memories of the arcades. Um, so I, I've been there a few times. It's a neat place, but I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if this is open to the public or not, but I hope it is. I think there should be a pinball game that is just one big flipper at the bottom, and we'll call it Flippy Bird. (laughs) You just (laughs) just try to keep the ball bouncing. Mighty Flippy? Mighty Flippy. It's a Mighty Flippy game. I think that could be big. Get right on that, would you? I think there should be one that that the flipper, (laughs) there's just one flipper, and it it, it completely covers the hole at the bottom, and only moves like a... Moves like a little bit when you touch it, so basically it's just the ball bouncing around. I like it. I think the flippers should be actual flippers. Like there should be like dolphins, dolphins. or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be awesome. So that's our that's our bit of pinball news. Cool. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing that bit of pinball news. I know you. I know that you you don't care a whit. Maybe I do. I got. You know what? I got to play some pinball. I got to stop being such a hater if I'm not going to get a little hands on. Well, one one thing that that and and again, this is I've. When when we were asked way back when when we started the show whether we would be doing pinball, I think the the rationale that we probably wouldn't do much of that was because the the emulation experience of pinball is a lot different than than arcade games. It's mm-hmm. a lot you know the the pinball game is such a it's a mechanical visceral thing that just for me anyway doesn't really come across that well when you when you switch over to to emulation. Whereas with the arcade stuff. It's easier to get closer to that experience. Right. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Cool. Meh. Meh. Well, speaking of games with dolphins in them, that's that's the best I got. It's not <laughs> even really dolphins. But we can talk about this week's game, which wow. kind of is water like. Yeah, this is a weird one. <laughs> it's um, a very weird one this week. And I bet nobody guessed this week's game. And not just because of the game, but because of the company behind it. It's all strange. Game strange, the way this game plays, and mostly the way the game sounds is strange. Company that made it is strange. It's pretty obscure. This week, we are talking about Shark Attack by Pacific Novelty, a 1981 game that I suspect very few of our listeners have actually played. I think it would have been cooler if they'd kept the original name of this game, Deep Death. How awesome is that? No, it's totally fantastic. I also wish it had been released as Deep Death, but alas, no. Nope, this is um yeah, this is <laughs> this is Shark Attack and, and you know, it's for a game that has so little to it, it's amazingly addictive. And and <laughs> like you said, Karen Dang, I think a big part of it part of it is the sound effects that go with it, and part of it is just it's it's okay, so you, you play a shark and there are four divers that have uh spear guns and they come after you and you try to eat them and that's the game. Yep, and they are color coordinated divers. They've all mm-hmm. co- they all called each other before they got in the water and they decided, <laughs> "Hey, let's all wear yellow or let's all wear blue." So they're all color each wave of divers are four very nicely color coordinated divers that you then attack and violently kill. <laughs> it is a game where you play the villain and not just one of those sort of bad, you know, kidnapper with a heart of gold, still kind of cute way like Donkey Kong. Oh, no. Here you are a hungry, great, great, great white shark and you literally kill all your opponents. And I think there's just enough satirical, almost cartoonish violence where it crosses that line from horrifying to, to really, really funny. I think so, know? too. Absolutely. So, there's so many elements, especially the... The speech in the game really makes it a funny game. Yeah, and when you when you're swimming around this space and you catch one of these divers, there's this little like explosion explosion of, of red blood in the water, pixelated red blood, and and the shark kind of bounces around a little bit, and the chatter from the divers is just hilarious. So if you get this, you know, when you get this game for Mame, you make sure you get the samples. File. Some games won't play without their, their associated sample files. This one will, and you won't know what you're missing because it'll play and you're like, you're like, what is this? But having that, that sample file in place really, for me anyway, and apparently for you too, really kind of up the ante on, on how great, how it made it kind of, it takes it from like an average sort of game to something really special that I kept playing over and over. Yeah, my meme setup. Um, which is fairly complete. Like I've got a good collection of ROMs didn't have the sample files for some reason, or maybe huh. they've been misnamed or something. So when I first played this game, all I got was the, 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 the background sound, which is sort of like 
two beeps. And I guess they're going for like a Jaws sort of do-do, but it's much right. faster. So it really isn't Jaws. Like it's just beep, 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 beep. Probably to, um, to a And that was lawsuit. it. And then I started reading some reviews of the game and they would talk about the speech and how the speech operated in, in physically inside the cabinet. I was like, well, what speech is this? <laughs> so I went and got the samples. Completely changes the game. It's absolutely essential that you play it with the speech. It's it's the thing that makes the game stand out. And it's not the earliest example of speech. I started thinking, like, is this the, the first time? Like, and I mean, maybe it is. I don't know. It, it predates things like Wizard of War and Berserk. It predates Sinistar, um, Mattel's in television. So I don't know. Is there an earlier arcade game with digitized speech than this one? Well, especially since the original prototype or whatever you want to call it, Deep Death was actually, you know, <laughs> seventy nine eighty, which is such a good name. This game. Deep Death, yeah. come on, Deep oh, Death yeah. is what it should have been called. Yeah, so so the game is made by Pacific Novelty, uh, a small arcade manufacturer out of um, out of Marina del, del Rey in Southern California. They only made like a handful of games. Deep Death was their first one. That was a prototype which uh, was licensed by a company called Game Plan, and then that was how it was released to Shark Attack. Mm -hmm. um, there was a game called The Ad Amazing Adventures of Mr. F. Lee, as in Flea, NATO Defense, Pop-A-Ball, Pop-A-Ball 2, which were non-video redemption games, uh, Shark Attack, and, apparent, and, and the one game that I have heard of and I haven't played before, but it's called Thief, was released in 1981, and that was it. Not a lot of games, but wasn't this... I guess this was founded by the guy who went on to become... President of Sega America. Um, he became Stoller. president of a lot of things. Uh, I was reading. I have a. Um, I have a book called "All Your Base Are Belong to Us." All my base um, are belong to you. Uh, it's uh, how fifty years of video games conquered pop culture. I think it's by uh, Harold Goldberg. And there's a section uh, where they talk about um, talk about Mr. Bernie Stolar. Uh, he's described as a gregarious entrepreneur with wide and varied management skills, including a stint as president of Atari. Uh, he was brought in to run the American division of a place of uh, Sony's PlayStation uh, operation, and I, it looks like he was the one who actually designed Deep Death in, in 1980. So he was all over the place. Awesome! I like this guy. I like anybody who's gregarious and makes a makes a shark game with people screaming in it. Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Mr. Stoller and and, and pretty much everything else he's done. Yep. Now the um, the graphics in the game are kind of mediocre. Like, so you've got your shark and you got the four swimming bad guys. The four, uh, well, good guys, I guess. You're the bad guy. The four good guys <laughs> are, they're all identical. Um, they just, they change colors. They're, they're, they're yellow or they're red or they're blue or what have you, but just them. The background is just dark blue, flat. Like there's no seaweed, there's no bubbles, there's no anything. The divers can at least face in eight directions as they swim around. They're kind of like planes flipping all over the place. But your shark, while well, you can move up and down, only faces left and right. Like it doesn't even have the eight directions for the shark. I mean, it's, the graphics are kind of a letdown in this, I found. I think they're okay. Like you know which ones are the swimmers, which ones are the sharks. You can tell the spear guns are the lines. Well, but not really exciting graphics, I thought. Well, considering that the game came out in 80 and was probably adapted from, you know, the, the 78, 79 version, I didn't go into this game expecting a whole lot. I, I was sort of surprised that, that it was just you and the four divers because for, for whatever reason, I had the impression that it was like, oh, you're, you're eating swimmers and then, then they send these four divers after you and you have to continue to eat the swimmers while the, while the divers come and try to kill you. But no, it's just you and the four divers and, and, when you eat the fourth one, nothing happens. Just four more appear. You don't. There's no nothing between levels. Mm -hmm. um, they just they show up. They're different colors, and they come at you a little bit faster. And the game gets a little bit harder. And the colors are the thing. I mean, it jumps out because you have the colors, and as you finish off a, a wave of four of them, you'll get a skull in the top right corner, and you get points for the skulls as well. Like the so you got the seven squadrons, and you get. Um, each time there's four guys. So the first time you get 50 points a man, then you get 100, then two, then three, then four, then five, then 750, weirdly in the last range. And then, and then when you finish a wave of four, you get point, you get a skull appears that matches the color of the squadrons you got rid of. And when you get rid of seven squadrons, then you get a free shark and you get a, a fixed bonus for getting rid of all four men in a squadron and you get 200, 300, 400, five, 8,000 or 2000 points. And then when you kill a bad guy, if you get killed and you come back, only the bad guys you ha or the good guys, sorry, that you haven't killed yet are still there. So it's a weirdly 
fixed point scoring game. Like you can sort of look at anybody's score and be able to tell exactly where they were in the game because it's you can't score anything other than what you have. You're like when you when you finish the first four players, you will get 50 points a player, so that will give you 200 points there and then you will get a 200 point bonus. So your score will be 400. You cannot finish level 1 with any score other than 400. <laughs> like it's it's kind of strange how limited. <laughs> and I started thinking about it like Wow, like there, there's no variety in the scoring here at all. It's completely predetermined. But the graphics, though, even though color becomes an element because of these little colored skulls in the top corner, the game felt very much like it should have been black and white. Like it feels like a 1970s yeah. game. Yep. And if I'd walked up and this was a game that was just white on a black monitor, that's exactly how this game plays. Like a 1979 black or white on black game, completely. The color, even though it's used, I think they just tacked on color later. I think so. Um, yeah, everything about this game suggests that it should not be fun or interesting. And, but it and is. Granted, <laughs> granted, having that, the samples there has, is probably 60% of that. And then the charming, you know, silliness of the violence and over the top. Uh, and the fact that it's just, it's a very, I think in this case, the simplicity does the game a favor. You know? I agree completely. It's just, it's just you and, and the divers and there's really nothing else going on and it gets a little bit faster and a little bit harder and it kind of sort of builds that tension and you kind of get the adrenaline pumping and there's not a lot of distractions and you can just kind of enjoy that specific experience really, really does, is good for the game. Whereas, it's almost like a phone game in its simplicity. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I could definitely see this. Well, I mean, you can see a lot, a lot more complex versions of shark eating people game on, on iPhones and things like that right yeah. now. So, uh, yeah, absolutely feels, uh, again, it, it, this for me is, is where a, a case of, of a game being, um, greater than the sum of its parts. Um, this is not a game that I ever would have dropped a quarter in had I seen it in an arcade. Uh, so I'm really, really glad that somebody, somebody, um, somebody, uh, recommended this to us. Yeah, totally. Um, and I'm sorry I don't, we don't have the person's name. Um, Cause honestly, but, from the looks of it, I would have thought this game is awful. Like, I would have thought there's no way. In fact, I think we only picked it because the name Deep Death sounded really cool. Right. Like, well, let's play that one. This game was a real surprise at how much fun it is for how simple it is. It took us a minute, actually, to realize that that Shark Attack and and Deep Death were, in fact, the same game. Oh, that's right. We picked Shark Attack, and then we said, no, no, let's play Deep Death instead. Right. Like, oh, they're the same game. Well, well, because I remember trying to find the, the Deep Death ROM and going, I don't have this ROM. I thought I had everything. Well, it's because it's the same game. Um, we should go back to, uh, Bernie Stoller for just a minute. Hit me um, with some Bernie talk. <laughs> so he started his career at Atari, um, and he headed up the Atari Lynx division, um, before becoming president there. And then he, uh, founded Pacific Novelty again, where he did the games that we've talked about. He then moved on to Sony PlayStation, um, and, Let's see, Stoller, it says, uh, I'm reading from his, his wiki page. Stoller is remembered for his controversial policies on what games would be permitted release in America. Most notably banning RPGs and 2D games, which he felt were too nerdy to represent the fledgling console's public image and didn't properly demonstrate the PlayStation's processing power. Huh. Uh, from there, he went on to Sega of America, where he headed up the Dreamcast project. And he is remembered for stating at the 1997 E3 that the Saturn is not our future and insisted that Namco should not be allowed to release Tekken games on Saturn in North America. Uh, insider reports suggest that Stoller overruled his Japanese superiors and priced the Dreamcast for launch at $199. Sega had reportedly wanted to set the price at $249 to generate profits immediately. The, the launch of the Dreamcast, of course, turned out to be the most successful commercial console launch in, in gaming history, and he was fired for it. <laughs> That'll show him. Shortly after that, he became president of Mattel. And from there, he went on to some other more recent companies. Like, uh, looks like he was at Adscape Media, something called Oasis Mobile. And most recently, he resigned from a company called Get Fugu. So a colorful individual, to be sure. Yep. Absolutely. Totally. Next summer, nature's most terrifying creature takes on an all-new dimension in an all-new adventure. And for the first time, the terror of Jaws will not stop at the edge of the screen. Jaws 3D. The third dimension is terror.
So we should talk about the speech in this game. Oh. <laughs> because the speech is the <laughs> best part of this game. So the sound is interesting. As far as I can tell, a, f- a few places online make this claim. And I don't know if it's true. But as far as other people are saying, this was the first game to have quadraphonic sound. So that's kind of neat, if it's true trivia. And there's so there's the two tones, the beeps, that just are, you know, that speed up through the game and are the background music, as it were. But the real sound comes from cassette tapes. So inside the cabinet are two cassette tapes that play on loops. Oh, wow. Tape number one is a 45-second loop of basically random bits of speech, which is why the speech doesn't really line up for what, what you're, when you're actually playing. It's just sort of playing this loop. And it's four people talking. So it's three male voices and one female voice. And they're pretty much just saying the most bizarre things. Like, they talk about how the water's cold. They tell each other to get out of the way. And then they, they talk about the shark. Like, he must be 40 feet long or he's a mean-looking fish. <laughs> and my favorite one, what do sharks eat? <laughs> like, what do you think? And every time that would come up, I'm like, I would eat one right away. Because, like, what do you think they eat? They eat you. <laughs> Which is so, so much fun to the game. So, anyway. So, you got the four people speaking. And then tape two is the tape of the screams. So, it's the tape that wouldn't just play in a loop. It's the tape that would play forward in chunks to play a scream whenever you eat a bad guy. <laughs> um, and they're hilariously vigorous screams, I found. Like, they didn't hold back. And I think these the four people that recorded this stuff were just employees of Pacific Novelty. And I love the fact that they got super into the screaming because <laughs> it adds a lot to the game. I like it. Yeah, I'm a big fan. And you had, uh, you'd mentioned the quadraphonic sound, and that reminded me of a, a thing that I wanted to talk about, Carrington. I know we, we never get to talk about what I want to talk about on the show. <laughs> um, there is a thread on, on Klov or, or Klov, I guess, um, called My Pacific Novelty Thief Build. And it's, it's by, uh, a user named Fetish Boy, Fetish with a PH, and he goes through and he's got some really great pictures of how he restored a thief cabinet using an old shark attack cabinet that he had, which, uh, and the focus is, of course, on getting thief up and running as it should be because that's what he's talking about. But because of that, you get some really great photos of the shark attack cabinet that uh, I couldn't find. I couldn't find a lot about shark attack as as far as the cabinet and things like that. So Carrington did what did you find? Well I did. I found a lot. The the cabinet out in the wild was quite different from the cabinet on the marketing material. <laughs> That's the first thing I discovered. Because <laughs> I, I took a lot of notes based on what the flyers would tell you the cabinet was like. Um because the flyers would have this like you know, it's a, it's a different bezel. Than, like, it's a much more complicated bezel on the flyer. But also it would have this front that was quite shiny. And I don't know what was supposed to be green metal or just something really shiny paint. And it had the shark and this white sort of seaweed painting on the bottom that's all around the coin door. And the coin door is like a stainless steel coin door. None of that was true for the actual produced machine. Now, I was going to say, I'm looking at the shark attack that Fetish Boy posted pictures of. And that doesn't it's, sound anything like what not, I'm seeing it's here. It's not even remotely like it. And I find that really interesting when you can when you can see the early flyers of a, of a game. And then you see the actual game as produced. And they take a lot of liberties with the, the shape <laughs> of it's differently. Everything. I don't know if it was supposed to. And they've got like people posing beside them. So maybe they made one mock-up, but that was not the cabinet that actually got produced. Although that said, the cabinet that got produced is, is, you know, a perfectly serviceable cabinet. As far as I can tell, it was made with no side art. That's always a disappointment. But it has a fairly decent bezel with just like the shark attack word on it and wavy sort of speech. But what's, oh, sorry, marquee. What's fun about it, though, is there is a good bezel. So around the 19-inch monitor, there's bezel art, and and I and I really I really kind of dig it. So on the on the top left corner, there is a, a big shark graphic, and in the bottom right, there's a, a a swimmer, a diver, and she's caught up in a bunch of seaweeds. And to the left of that is the um, uh, uh, instructions. And as I found at least two different versions of that bezel art, and I don't know if they were produced maybe by different companies or different times or what have you. But there's one where in the bottom right corner, it's got this burst that sort of avoids spears at all cost. And there's another version that doesn't have that. So there's at least two bezel artworks and also at least two control panels. There's a very simple black control panel, got a red ball joystick in the middle that says shark control and has four arrows around it, even though it's an eight-way joystick. And then on the left, there are two white buttons, one labeled thrust and one labeled munch. We haven't talked about that yet, but in, in the game, <laughs> you can press the thrust button to zip forward and or run away from things, which I usually use it to avoid spears. And you press the munch 
munch button and to munch and basically every time you press it your mouth opens so you got to press it repeatedly to munch things so i found that really fun and off to the right are two white buttons that say player one start and player two start but that's just the one version another version that seems to have been the one that was produced more is a graphical uh version of the game so it's got a, a black joystick yellow buttons and artwork on the bezel instead of just being black so it's interesting that a game that didn't have as far as i can tell a ton of these produced there were at least two in north america completely separate cabinets okay, with well, different coin doors different everything fetish boy's photo of his shark attack has the bezel art and the red joystick with the white buttons well maybe it's a combo maybe it is yeah like who knows how these things go or maybe pacific or the people that were manufacturing it um uh game planning gpi maybe they were just sort of randomly assembling stuff. maybe there's maybe they made 500 and they're all different i don't know but i found at least multiple copies of of the two there was also a um a cocktail cabinet version and it's a it is a, since it's a two-player game but you alternate it's one of those cocktail cabs that has controls on both sides player one sits opposite player two and then the when it switches over to player two the the monitor just switches so it orients for the other person it's got um it's very similar to the first control panel that I talked about, the more plain one, where it's got two white buttons for player one start. It's got a red ball joystick and red thrust and munch buttons. And I think that's the only version that was made for the uh, for the um, cocktail. And like a lot of cocktail cabinets, especially the early ones, instead of having a horizontal flat surface, say, carved out under the glass where you're where your buttons are, you rest your hand on. This is one where it's got a control panel barely tilted from the vertical. So it's the buttons are kind of facing you and the joystick sticking out, which, and I used to remember as a kid, not liking those ones because you've got to really twist your hand back to hit the buttons. So not exactly ergonomically wonderful, but it's, it's neat that there's at least three versions of this, this game got built considering I really don't think it was that popular. Um, I found a bunch of them that have been sold online, but everyone that I could found, I could find that had been sold had been wrecked cabinets. I, I've yet to see somebody in the last while sell like a restored, perfectly functioning one. They're mostly just, Here's a cabinet, but it's got no guts. Or here's one, the monitor doesn't come on. So they're usually going for very low prices, you know, $100, $150. But it's because they're junker caps. So I don't really know what a an actual good condition one would go for. Well, even Fetish Boy's Shark Attack cabinet looks like it had been standing in two inches of water for a while. You know, it's chewed up at the bottom. And I, I, I'm looking through. He's posted pictures. So he's got the Thief cabinet, the original uh, the shark attack and another one that they made called NATO defense. And all of them have the same sort of layout where you know, it's, they all look the same, similar, but they have the, the quadraphonic sound. So the, the quote quadraphonic sound in this case is four speakers that are basically mounted in the area just above the monitor and pointed kind of down at you. So I don't know how stereo you actually get, but it is interesting to see that they, they did this in at least three three of their games and i know that thief was the most popular of the games that they did so now here's the thing i know the sound for the voices is a single cassette that runs mm -hmm. in a loop but cassettes can have multiple tracks on them and i wonder if it was the case that originally the four voices were on four different tracks that would each come out of their own speaker well it's is interesting. That a coincidence? It's quadraphonic and it's four voices well I, i'm not sure because the the sound on the okay so we'll Real quick, the stats on this thing. The um, it used a, a, a Z80 at, at four megahertz, which is actually kind of powerful. Wow. I think for 1980. Jeez, yeah. Uh, for the CPU, and then it, but it only had uh, two of the AY uh, 38910As each at one megahertz. So I'm wondering if each uh, each chip drove one set of speakers. Well, um, I wouldn't, or maybe they didn't at all. Like maybe they drove just the center speakers to do the beep beeps, and the hmm. voices were coming out stereo. Because the voices were just cassettes, and that could easily have been um, just a mechanical thing saying, you know, start playing the cassette, which could have been wired up completely separately from the game. Like, I don't know. So it would be interesting to know, like, how this is wired up inside. It could be that those sound chips just do the do-do-do-do-do noise, and the cassettes are running. Maybe one cassette from one speaker, one from another. Like, who knows? I'm reading this from the manual. The, the manual says that Shark Attack uses the pre-recorded cassette requiring two speakers, uh, apparently this is a, it uses, the cassette unit is, is an automotive stereo unit. So it's a car stereo. That's awesome. Um, and well, and the guy in the thread has pictures of it. It's basically a, a car stereo screwed into the, into the, uh, into the, the cabinet. It's, and it says that, okay, so channel A is, it has a PSG. I assume that's maybe the chip 
Uh, that's the heartbeat sound. Channel B is the background, the dump, dump, dump sound. Mm-hmm. And then channel C is the diver channel. This, this sound comes from the cassette player. And channel D is the diver screams, which also comes from the cassette player control. Right. So those are the two cassettes. So, okay. Yes. So, and thus quadraphonic. Cool. Yes. So there you go, sir. There I go, sir. I think people will first look at this game and, and launch it and play it and see like the shark attack logo comes up and it's mm-hmm. very low resolution, like these blocks. Like that. And I think people will think, I can't believe they, they had so much to say about this game because <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of surprised we have this much to say about this game, but it's a surprisingly fun game for how simple it is. There's something weirdly charming and, and funny about playing this game. It just, it hooked me, I, which is, you know, that's a that's a fish pun I just made. <laughs> wah, wah. Something about this game, though, man. I don't know what it is, but it just. I, I maybe this was just the right week for us to play it or something. But I don't. I can't really explain why I like this game so much. But I had a lot of fun playing it. And there's a, there's a, a game manual in the form of the P, of, in the form of a PDF on archive.org. Uh, and the front cover of this thing, it's the game. The manual is written by Game Plan Incorporated. It's. Uh, looks, it has a, a hand-drawn photo of, I think, it must be a shark, that looks like it was done by a fourth grader. Okay. Um, well, there's a shark, a big shark painted on the side of a lot of mm, um, cabinets I've seen. But nowhere in the official art, like when I, in, in any magazine ad I found, in any flyer, in any anywhere, was there side art on these cabinets. And they lied a lot about all the art they were putting on the front of the cabinet. <laughs> so I wouldn't. I'm surprised if there was officially shark stuff. So I think a lot of people put sharks on the side of the cabinets, but they weren't actually produced that way. Possibly. Just saying. Yeah. It's just a weird game. Shark Attack featured an eight-position joystick. At least that's how they're describing it on the, uh, in the manual. I don't know if that's, if it's really accurate because I don't remember having to move diagonally all that much. I just kind of would get close and, and hit, the, hit, the, hit the accelerate button until I got close, and then I just pound the munch button. So um, I didn't pay as much attention to that as maybe I should have. I don't know. I, I just I really had a great time playing this game. I agree. What could we have to compare against this next week? <laughs> <laughs> I tried to I tried to have a pause so I could build up a lot of suspense. Were you feeling it? Were you feeling the suspense? I was feeling something. <laughs> oh wait, we can't go on to next week yet. We haven't compared scores. Okay, uh, so I let's... think I did pretty good this week. And I think that a lot of weeks, and I lose. <laughs> I don't know. I think I did pretty well, too. But every time I assume that, that's when I get my butt kicked. It's when I think I suck that I, I wipe the floor with you. So um, I Uh-oh. racked up <laughs> I racked up 32,800 oh, points. Man. Ah, Anyway, sorry. I just heard the th, and you already beat me. So 32,000 and what? 800 points. Oh, you destroyed me. You Aww. destroyed me. Darn it. I thought I did really well. I got through I got through the first level. I mean, a lot of times, I, I, I mean, I, I don't mean the, just the first wave, but like the first seven waves, and then you would get a free shark. You, uh, you yeah. can have, it can be set to either three, four, or five sharks, and mine, I never monkeyed with it, was set to give me four sharks to start with. So I was playing four shark games. At the beginning, when you enter coins, it'll say, put in more coins or press player one. So presumably, I never tried it, but if you put in extra coins, you just get a two-player game. It's not that you get extended sharks. I don't know. So I, had I didn't four, try that either. Yeah, I had four player, four four sharky bad guys to play and to munch away with. Uh, my high score I got was nineteen thousand two hundred. So you completely wiped the floor with me, wiped the ocean with me again. That got me through. If I remember that that because you can sort of work backwards from someone's score and sort of calculate. So if I recall, I got through the first seven waves. Then I did like the next four, I think, and then I got like one or two sharks on level five. And like, that was, that was as far as I get. I never got two free sharks. I never made it all the way through all seven of them twice. Uh, Many times I didn't make them all the way through them once. (laughs) It was only (laughs) near the end that I realized there was a thrust button. One of the real downsides of play MAME is I'll sometimes press a button and I see, Oh, then that's the biting button. And I didn't realize there was another button. And it was right at the end, just today when I was looking at the cabinet images, that I learned there were two buttons. And so I played again and that's when I got my high score. So the thrust helps a lot. Um, I wish I had noticed that before, <laughs> but oh man, you beat me again. I think the, you the are thrust a bad button, person. <laughs> I must be. Yes. I think the thrust button definitely had a lot to do with it. Um, I definitely, I, I got a lot better 
when I started using that. Like you, I didn't really know what that button was for at first. Um, I also got better through the week. This is a game that I distinctly was better at after a couple mm. of days playing than I was at the beginning. And I wish I had more time to play this week. I'll keep playing it. But I definitely did find my game was improving. It is a game that you can bring some skill to. Yeah, it's and that's that's one of the reasons that I kept coming back to it because a game like this, you know, can can either go really two ways and and just and beyond the the silly humor and the graphics and and the, the sound and stuff like that, if it's a game that either has a really difficult learning curve or you don't ever feel like you're going to get better at it, it's this is an easy one that this could easily have been one that I would just walk away from, but because I you know practiced and and kept getting better and and my scores kept going up, it made it made it easy for me to want to keep coming back to this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me too. And I found, like, when we played Anteater last week, I talked about how sometimes, just because there wasn't a lot of logic put into when the worms and the ants would enter, you could start a level with a worm and ant, like, almost on top of each other in a kind of position that was almost impossible to eat them, so you just know immediately you're going to die. And here, because it's just, like, an open water, just you against four in kind of a fishy dogfight, it was never the case that I found like it was unfair. Everything gets a little faster and faster and faster, but it's totally fair game. You got the four people. They do dive at you. They're not moving randomly. They do try to swarm around you, um, but it felt fair. And it just sort of was a linear progression as it got faster. And, and it's a, you know, a fair and fun game. Yeah, absolutely. I never, I, I, there were some weird collision things happening sometimes where I would like, I wasn't anywhere near a diver, you know, and I would get him anyway. Um, or I'd get like two at a time. Um, yeah, I would sometimes get the two at a time as well. And I think it was because I was munching like crazy on top of one and then it would immediately eat the second one too. Yep. I, I, I think that's right. And it would sometimes work, you know, in, in against me and, and, um, a, a um, the, the spear gun being shot at me wasn't close and it, it would kill me, but it was never, for whatever reason, it didn't annoy me enough to, to walk away from the game. It's too fast a game. Like you're just, you're right back it, into yeah. it anyway. It's it like, really okay, whatever. speeds up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, I, it does a great job of pacing the action. The sound is wonderful. I love the game. The sound is hilarious. And the um, only tip I had gameplay wise is I did find in general, if I was going at the, the bad guys in a horizontal plane, like they're shooting at me, I don't know whether their spear guns go faster horizontally or what, but they were far more likely to spear me in that direction than if we were facing each other on any angles or if I try to you know come from above or below. So in general, I would try to avoid just horizontally going back and forth at the divers. I would try to go up and down more. Yeah, and that, 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 made, that made a huge difference yeah. in the game. All right, and I guess that pretty much wraps up uh, Shark Attack. Yep, I surprisingly mean, fun. Yep, I, I probably, this is one that I will probably go back uh, and play again. And if I ever have the chance to buy one of these, I I might. I can't believe I liked this game. <laughs> From the looks <laughs> of it, this should have been a train wreck of a game. And <laughs> it's actually really fun. Well, here's the thing. This is not a game that you have to go find it and, and buy the cabinet. Um, it works just fine in MAME. You, you know, as long as you have the samples, uh, you, you're going to have a great experience. But... For me, this is still probably a game where if I if I saw it cheap and it was working, I I might pick this up at auction. There would be something fun about having those four speakers and knowing that inside it is like a car stereo, right? And that there's <laughs> the, the cassettes running on a loop, and that yeah. that manual aspect would be that would really appeal to me. I would love to play this on an actual cabinet. All right. Well, um, do you want to play next week's game on a real cabinet? I do. Maybe I don't know. What's it sound like? Sounds like this. And that brings us to the end of another No Quarter podcast. It does. I'll miss us. As will I. Okay, back in the box for both of us. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye. You've been listening to No Quarter, the classic arcade podcast. Feedback can be sent by email to noquarter at monsterfeet.com, or you can find us on Facebook as No Quarter Podcast, and on Twitter, we are at No Quarter Show. You can also find us on both the Throwback Network and the Real Retro Junkies Network. All of these links, plus the show notes, are available at monsterfeet.com, and like all Monster Feet podcasts, the original material in this episode has been released to the public domain. <laughs>